Welcome everyone to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. We are super excited to be here with you. I'm your host, Nate Bird, and next to me is Rachel Weaver, the other host of the wonderful podcast. And we are very excited to be here. We got some great topics to discuss today. Jumping sure right do. into it, we've got the uh, the menace moment for the week. And this week, we're going to talk about the Black 14. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know, they were 14 player, uh, football players at the University of Wyoming back in the 60s who uh, decided to protest the racism that they saw within the church. They were not members of the church, but they decided to protest that. And as a result, they were penalized for it. And um, so the reason we're sharing it this week is because BYU recently honored them at the, uh, the football game that they had over the weekend where they played Wyoming. And so um, we wanted to talk a little bit about them. All right. So this took place in the 60s, um, late 60s. And at that time, uh, Wyoming was one of the best football teams in the country, which I didn't realize. I didn't think that Wyoming had ever been good at football. <laughs> right. It's apparently, they used there. to be really good. They won a national championship oh, in the late really? 60s. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. That's and they were, um, you know, at the, at the time of this, they were ranked pretty highly. So um, there were 14 black players on the Wyoming Cowboys roster, which obviously contributed significantly to uh, the skill at which they had. Um, <laughs> Period. I mean, if we're just being honest. Uh, and so at, during this time, obviously, the church denied black people basic rights and the ability to attend BYU. And so I was watching a little ESPN documentary about it just to kind of educate myself. And uh, during this, they actually were interviewing some of the players, uh, some of the members of the Black 14. And they, I didn't realize this, but in 1969, when they played against BYU, um, you know, they, they, the team was taking cheap shots at them, calling them racial slurs and stuff mm. like that. But then when they went to their locker room, uh, there was actually a picture of a, a gorilla next to a picture of a black man uh, right outside their locker room, right? And then uh, when the game on was BYU over campus. on BYU campus, mm. was, mm-hmm. and when the game was over, <laughs> when the game was over and the Wyoming team walked off the field, they turned the sprinklers on right away. Yeah. And then next day, like the next day, they had a newspaper that came out and it was, had this little smug headline that said BYU washes evil off the field. Right. Because they because they beat Wyoming or whatever. And um, I was like, that's, you know, that's crazy to hear that. Wash this evil off the field, turn on the sprinklers to clean the grass, the football Mm. field, because black people have been on it. That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with at BYU not that long ago. That was 50 years ago. Um, Your grandparents were probably at BYU. And uh, who knows, you know, parent, maybe, well, probably not parents, but like your grandparents was definitely there. Depending on some people. Yeah, depending on who, yeah, who you're talking to. But yeah, I mean, this was not that long ago. 50 years is not a long time, um, you know. So these are the kind of things they were dealing with in 1969, right? And so uh, that was the year before. uh, But the Black Student Alliance at at Wyoming University decided that they wanted to protest uh, some of the racist treatment that they saw in the church. And this was just the overall discrimination of black people, not allowing them to have the priesthood practice, um, you know, within the church. They decided to protest that. And the BY or the uh, Wyoming football players, they didn't even, I didn't realize this, they didn't even actually protest. Yeah. They just they thought did. about it. Yeah. yeah. They said that in uh-huh. the, when we were there on yeah, yeah, yeah. Wednesday. And so they went to ask their coach, hey coach, can we wear this black armband with uh, the number 14 on it, just to, you know, in solidarity Verity. with uh, mm-hmm. the with black people in the church. And the coach, his name was Lloyd Eaton. Um, he said, boys out, you know, I assume he had like a, well, actually, no, I don't assume, because in the documentary, he had like that, he had that accent. He said, boys, I'll save you a lot of trouble. You are no longer, as of this moment, you are no longer members of the Wyoming Cowboy football team. So he kicked them off the football team right there, just for asking, yes. just for thinking about protesting yes. um, anything having to do with racial inequality, right? And 
Um, so, you know, for that reason, they were kicked off the team. They were taken off scholarship. And, you know, the coach, he had an insult to injury by telling them that they would never amount to anything, that they were all going to be on welfare. Yep. He told them that, um, you know, they were never going to go anywhere and that they'd be saving the university money by taking their scholarships away. Mm. And um, then after that, the university lied and said that the players refused to play without wearing the armbands, which is not true. They just went and asked. Um and so, you know, after that, they were kind of blackballed. Nobody wanted them. And uh, in the documentary, one of the Black 14 actually compared it to uh, the Colin Kaepernick situation, mm. where after he after they decided to or after they made the decision to speak up, even though they didn't get the chance to, um, they decided to make that decision. And, uh, you know, they ended up kind of getting blackballed. You know, it was hard for them to find jobs after college. It was hard for, you know, they couldn't play football anywhere. Nobody wanted them on their teams, that kind of thing. And uh, they were saying, you know, the history is repeating itself. We're supposed to learn from it, but we're not, right? So the same thing is still happening, uh, what, 50, 60 years later. And so even in that instance, you know, if if they can go through the same thing 50 years ago that Colin Kaepernick is going through right now, then what makes anybody think that racism is dead, that it's gone away, right? It's still here, and a lot of it is still the same, and some of it's evolving. Yep. Yeah. So that was the Black 14. This is I wanted to include this because this is kind of where it gets a little bit satisfying. Right. So the coach kicked them off the football team. And I guess Wyoming didn't think that the black players were going to make that much of a difference. But (laughs) after that, they played one more game against San Diego State, not the Black 14, but the Wyoming football team. They played for without the Black 14, Mm -hmm. without them. They played against San Diego State. and they beat San Diego State, but the players on San Diego State actually wore black armbands to support mm-hmm. the, Wyoming, the Wyoming football players, which was dope. So they won that game, and then after that, they lost the last four games of the season, so they went 6-4 and four that year. And then the next year, they lost every game except one, and mm. uh, Lloyd Eaton, the coach, was fired. He was no longer allowed to coach. God don't like racism. And then after that, the Wyoming football team fell off. And uh, they went from being undefeated and ranked 12th in the nation to not having a winning season for six more years. It was six years before they had another winning season. So uh, that's what they get. And, I, you know, nowadays I never would have known that Wyoming was ever good at football. Right. And honestly, it's probably because of, of this BS right here, you know, the way that they treated them. And so it was kind of a black mark. And um, in the, you know, we watched a little documentary about it, and uh, one of the, the people that made the documentary for ESPN was talking about how when they originally put the documentary out, Wyoming was not happy about it because obviously this is kind of a black mark. You don't really want to hear more about this. Um, and they tried to kind of have it it quieted down but eventually they took accountability for it they, they issued mm-hmm. they issued apology letters to the black 14 an official apology each letter. one they wrote each individual yeah the, the church letter. could take some notes from that but that's Ooh, none of my business child, yeah you know they, they sent them a nice little apology letter they honored them with uh, letterman's jackets and and, yep. and all of that and they had them come back and and you know be parts of, of the football team and stuff like that and, and so they have like a plaque on campus too yeah like mm-hmm. honoring them yeah and so wyoming they stepped up you know it took them a while it took them being called out first but they stepped up and they did their thing and um they made some kind of reconciliation for the way that they treated the black 14 instead of just keeping it swept under the rug so there you have it the black 14 okay well for the conversation that we wanted to have today me and Nate have been talking about just different topics that we wanted to introduce on the podcast and we kind of want to start talking about some things that normally kind of like 
we're going to have a conversation between us that we normally have for, you know, just for black people, but we want to include you guys in it so our listeners um, can kind of understand some nuances amongst our community. And one of those issues that we want to talk about today was mental health in the black community because even though um, I think we all know that, you know, overall society has been um, slow to understand mental health, accept it, and talk about it. I think within the black community and probably other BIPOC communities as well, um, that issue has been exacerbated because we've experienced other issues. And so we kind of want to talk about how that has affected us, our experience. Um, so I want to start off before we start talking that I want to quote some research as a sociologist. You Come know? on with the research. <laughs> I had to bring in some research just so you guys can know that this isn't just, you know, me and Nate shooting the breeze and just us thinking like, yeah, this is what we experienced. This is like documented issues amongst black people. And sorry while I look away, but... Um, one of some of the statistics that I found was compared to, so people who have mental health issues, 40% of white people would go and seek mental health treatment, while only 25% of black people would. Another uh, interesting, interesting statistic is black people have the highest rate of PTSD. Um, mm. Ours is 8.75% compared to white people, which is 7.4. And also, um, s- 65% of African-American youth report traumatic experience compared to 30% of peers from other ethnic groups. Interesting statistics as mm-hmm. well as... Um, the, it is true, though, that black and African-American teenagers are less likely to die from suicide, um, but they're more likely to attempt suicide than white people. Which is interesting. So they're less likely to die, but more likely to attempt it. So, um, yeah, and, and other things that I read as I was doing some research was just basically that black people have um, more racial trauma as well, which impacts their mental health. Um, and so researchers do care about this. And I know that there's a big effort right now to target the black community in terms of working on mental health Um and addressing things and i know this is something that i'm really passionate about personally mm. as well yeah that is very interesting you know as someone who um i don't know i haven't been diagnosed but i'm pretty sure i got ptsd in there somewhere um you know there's a lot of things that have happened to me that like affected the way that i think affected the way that i um like thought of myself right and then being able to like go to therapy and break those things down was very helpful for me. Um, I think I've said before that going to therapy was one of the best decisions I ever made. And I think a lot of people say that it may sound kind of cliche, but it really was. And it helped me to um, kind of figure out who I was on a, on a bigger scale and then also be able to understand why my mind worked certain ways and then kind of be able to reconcile some of that and just kind of come to terms with, with who I am as a person and then like be able to work on myself and better myself. Yeah. And my personal experience um, with mental health is I I don't want to get too in-depth and detailed, but I've struggled with mental health issues since I was a freshman in high school. That was the first time I really experienced um, depression, and it was very scary, a lot of suicidal ideation, and then things kind of got better throughout high school, and then with the pandemic coming around, I had a really very, another strong episode of experiencing depression and anxiety and so I got officially diagnosed in May of 2021 
with severe anxiety and moderate depression. Those are the words they used. And um, I got tested because I also wanted to know if I had ADHD because school had become extremely difficult. And I didn't realize that my mental health, I mean, I knew that I had mental health struggles, but I didn't really know how that was showing up. And I wanted to get some type of help. I was like, I can't do school right now in the capacity that I used to. And so I either wanted like medication or I wanted to get like some accommodations at school, something. And um, that's why that's kind of what led me to getting diagnosed. And that diagnosis for me was really important to like be able to label something. Right. I think that there's a lot of power that comes when you can be like, okay, this is what's wrong with me. This is what's going on. This is why I'm acting the way I am. And really ever since getting that diagnosis and working in therapy, with that specific diagnosis, I have felt um, just like I have more direction and able to know and identify what's going on with me. Like when my chest is super tight and I cannot focus on anything else and like my chest literally physically hurts, I know what that is. That is anxiety, right? Like when I cannot focus on doing homework, schoolwork, I don't, I can't go to, the, I can't do anything because I'm so anxious about something that's why and when I feel depressed about things when it ebbs and flows and for four weeks I'll feel fine and then one week will come and I'll feel really low that is what you know I'm not I'm not severely depressed I'm moderately depressed right and so um it's been really good though going to therapy and working on things and um I this experience with me experiencing this and then seeing my family's reaction to it has been very interesting because my siblings have been very supportive of it, but my mom and my grandma and my older family members, they have not, they don't understand what's going on. Um, and they're not, like my mom is not supportive of medication. My grandma's not supportive of medication. They have a very strong stigma with that. Um, and it's taken this whole diagnosis of me and my other brother um, he's open about it too. My brother got diagnosed with ADHD. My younger sister also is diagnosed with depression. My other sister is diagnosed with depression. And so my family was kind of like, what is going on? Why is everyone having these problems? And it's um, it's just been interesting to see the extended family's reaction to kind of me and my siblings dealing with mental health things. I don't know if you've experienced that, Nate, but it's been a lot of pushback from older black family members who want to use religion and Jesus and other things to kind of come and say, well, this can help you, which it's not, not, not true. I do believe that religion and spiritual spirituality can help you to feel connected to a higher being and help you to have purpose and help you to feel like you have the confidence to work through some challenges, but also that is not the end all be all for the challenges that I, especially me in particular that I face. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, for me with my family, there's kind of a similar, uh, similar thought process, I guess, mm -hmm. um, you know, from my parents when it comes to medication, when it comes to um, mental health. Um, I don't think that, well, you know, I'll say for my mom, she was a psychology major. Um, she got her, she almost got her master's in psychology. And so I think her take on it is a little bit different. But I think as they've gotten older, they definitely kind of have moved away from like the mental health route of things and more towards the religious aspect of mm -hmm. things. And um, I think, honestly, that mindset in the black community is pretty prevalent among 
mm-hmm. um, older populations, not so much among younger populations. I think we have social media to thank a lot for that. Agreed. Um, and, you know, kind of exposing us to people's behavior more and allowing us to kind of see more into people's personal lives. I think before social media, all you saw was what like the media put out or like what you mm. saw on MTV or yeah. or what you saw in the movies. You right. never had a chance to like see um, you know, someone who's considered a celebrity or considered famous, yep. uh, just living their life on a day-to-day basis. You know, there was nobody um, posting a video of themselves crying on MTV or you know having a, a mental breakdown in public, um, you know, or anything like that. And so, you know, when we are able to see that, then it allows us to kind of be more honest and open. Um, and you know, while while the internet is a lot of things, it also is a place where you know you can be very honest. I agree. Um, and where it kind of shows you an honest picture of the world, right? You know, us at our age, we know and understand a lot more about how the world works than I think our our parents did and our parents before mm-hmm. them, yeah. um, because they believed what they were told. And mm-hmm. we kind of see that now uh, with a lot of people that would believe anything they hear. Um, you know, they'll see a, a a meme on Facebook and take it as the gospel truth. Whereas for us, you know, we'll see something and our first instinct will be to check the facts, to see where it came from, to find out if it's a good source and all those kinds of things. Um, And I think that, you know, the Internet has allowed us to kind of be skeptical, but also to be more honest with each other. And so in that in that that realm of thought, um, being able to um, to have kind of more open access to other people's mental health has allowed us to be honest with ourselves and say, okay, maybe I have some of these same mental health issues. Um, but I think in the black community, there's this idea that, um, you know, going to therapy makes you weak or, yeah. um, you know, if you have mental health issues and there's something wrong with you when that really just isn't the case. And I think honestly, it, you know, as much as people hate to hear it, you know, I hear people say that, you know, racism is the root cause of everything. It kind of is. No, it is. You know, the black people were not given the same access to mental health resources, um, you know, to, to social resources, anything like that. And so religion was really it. That was the only resource. Yeah. And so everything became dependent on on uh, on church, right? You go to church to solve your problems because mm-hmm. that's all you have. You have yourself and you have church. Your and that's the pastor. only thing you can, yeah, the only your thing pastor you can, yeah. was your therapist. That's the only person you could go mm-hmm. to things that were issues that you didn't want to be, uh, you know, talked about outside of your family. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, back then all the therapists were white and they weren't seeing any black, um, you know, black clients and things like that. And it's taken a long time. And even now trying to find a black therapist, depending on where you are, can be very, very difficult. And Um, very expensive. Like Mm -hmm. it might not even be in network if you have health insurance Yeah. and your health insurance might not even cover mental health services. Yep. That's very true. All of those things. Right. And so, um, I lost my train of thought. But oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. It's not your fault. But um, yeah, so like having those, you know, this, this stigma around mental health has not helped the black community at all. But we're moving away from that, like I said. And I think that's huge. Um, you know, but yeah, for, for me growing up for the longest time, I was like, I don't, you know, I remember, um, you know, I remember thinking that I didn't need to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And I you know I, I don't want to go see a shrink. I'd be crazy and all this kind of thing. You know, I'm thinking you know, now I'm thinking, man, what, you know, if I had gone to therapy sooner, how much different would my life be, you know? Um, right. But it took me a while to get to a place where I was finally ready to accept that. And it's because of the way that I was raised and the way that I was socialized to believe that therapy meant weakness and that working on your mental health meant that there was something wrong with you and that you, you know, were less than perfect. And I think that, uh, a lot of people in the black community, especially have that mindset or just really among people of color, anybody who's yeah. not had historical access to mental health resources. Yeah. And the, the stigma also is like, 
we as a community have seen white people access it almost i don't know if this makes sense but like seeing white people access it and almost feeling like that's a white people problem mm. i don't know if you kind of felt that i felt that vibe sometimes for my family like white people have the time to have mental health problems mm. almost like that was kind of my family's um at least when i was in high school kind of like they were like what what is this what do you mean depressed they're like we don't have time to be depressed we have too much other stuff going on we have to worry about bills and this and that yeah I got white that people a lot. yeah I'm like white people have the time to be depressed they got the money for that they have the ability like the the world allows them to have other issues that are outside of like financial pretty much at least me growing up and so my like perspective from my family was very much like we don't have the ability to be that way you need to not be that way mm-hmm. <laughs> which i feel like a lot of people of color just because of you know other social issues and access in general to just financial things you don't really have the ability to do that and the older i get and the more educated i become on mental health issues looking back in my childhood i see the ways in which there were so many unhealthy things going on in my family n- with no like disrespect or knock to my mom or my family at all that was just you know these habits were brought into them and these generational issues are bigger than them um and so looking back I'm like dang and seeing my mom and seeing the pressures that were put on her and how that was bad for her mental health in certain ways and like the way that her mental health showed up in her parenting and showed up in the way she treated us and like how that's affected her children. It's just very much like, ding. I'm so, it's so, it makes me sad that that's a perspective that my community has had for so long. That it's like, no, we have had these issues. We just haven't felt like we had the ability to deal with them or the capacity. And I'm like, no, we need to have the capacity because these generational problems can no longer persist. I, I, I refuse personally mm, absolutely yeah and the reason i'm you know big reason i'm working on myself now is because i don't want to pass down like my negative mental health traits yeah. to my children i want them to grow up as unencumbered as possible right um you know same with with me all respect to my parents um but i think you know in my case and especially with my dad i think he let a lot of his mental health issues affect the way that he raised us and so, you know, and this is a lot of uh, a lot of people, but fear was kind of the primary motivator mm. for a lot of of the things that he said and the things that he did, whether it was us getting a whooping or whether it was a long lecture about the dangers of this or the dangers mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, I think that fear was a major driving force, you know, and that stemmed from from the PTSD and things like that, that my dad had um, from his upbringing. And um, yeah, I, you know, those things affected me. And maybe in a much uh, smaller way than, you know, than maybe um, than he was affected because I grew up. I had the privilege of having a father growing up, which a lot of black people don't get to have. Unfortunately, that also goes back to racism. But that's a yeah, conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that, we'll yeah. put that one down on podcast mm-hmm. list. Mass incarceration. But yeah, yeah, that stereotype that that's rooted in racism as well. Um, but, you know, I did have that privilege. But at the same time, um, you know, the effects are still are still there, right? Just the effects of racism um, perpetuated themselves in my family and in the way that I was raised and things like that. And so, yeah, the, you know, the idea, Rachel, that you kind of talked about where, where black people say, oh, that's a white people problem. No, literally, that's what I was told. Yeah, you know, I got the same thing where it's like we can't afford to have bad mental health no. because we, you know, we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to accomplish you this. You got to go to work. That. Right. There's no, and I so, can't go, I'm... Exactly, having a bad right. mental health day yeah I, th- I feel like i remember i don't remember if it was me or somebody but i feel like i remember saying something along the lines of i'm feeling depressed 
And the response was just like incredulous. Like, what do you mean you're depressed? Like, go read a book or right. go outside and get some sunlight. Mm-hmm. You need, you know, something like that. And I was just like, well, I guess I'll never be depressed again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I was like, man, I guess I can't be depressed. I just have to just, you know, push through whatever this is. And so I've learned, you know, over time, I definitely learned to suppress my feelings and to kind of bury everything down deep. And that led to that led to some definite issues. Like I remember. Um, especially like last year where a lot of things were just kind of coming to a head. I was getting stressed trying to finish up school. I was working uh, full time. I was taking like 18 credits. Don't um, ever do that, by the yeah, way. Don't do that. Please. Don't. I took 17. Don't mm-hmm. do that. It's brutal. Uh, and then yeah, all of those things just piled up. And I remember it just kind of all came to a head and I just kind of like exploded, had a little bit of a breakdown. And um, even though I went to therapy, I kind of like recovered from that. It still affected me for like the rest of the year. Right. Yep. And so a lot of things changed because I allowed all of those things to just be inside of me for so long until they finally just kind of all came to a head. And like once I was able to let those things out in therapy and realize, man, I like it, it changed me. Like I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. I felt like a giant knot had been like unwound from inside of me. Um, and, you know, that was all credit to being able to talk through those things and figure out what I need to figure out in therapy. Yeah. And therapy for me, I, I really am a big proponent of everyone going. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a big privilege being able to go. And I'm grateful that my dad's insurance, you know, our copay is $35, which is not that bad. Yeah, but like nice. some people can't afford $35 a week. But for me, it's a sacrifice that I make for myself that I'm like, I have to do this to survive. I will literally, <laughs> joking, not joking, like, be suicidal, okay? Like, I have to go every week. It's it's something I have to do. And it's just so nice to understand who you are and why you are the way you are. And always knowing that at the end of the day, like, even if my friends don't want to talk to me about this, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like, you have someone unbiased who's going to look at what's going on with you objectively and never like tell you you're wrong. You, you never make you feel bad for who you are. And if anything, help you to look at the way that you're being hard on yourself. Growing up in a black family, I mean, emotions are just handled very interestingly, interestingly, interest. It's handled strangely. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to say that word, but mm-hmm. you, I don't know how it was for you, Nate, but for me, emotions were very, in my family, we're very emotional people. So we were allowed to be emotional to a certain point, right? Like if you were too emotional, like if you had if you had too much of emotional reaction to negative things, that was perceived as weakness. Mm. I don't know if that was the way for you, but that's how my mom was. Yeah. And so I've had to unlearn a lot of that, that having an emotional response to a sad situation or something simple, you fail a test. Being sad about that, like growing up, if I was sad about like school, my mom was like, why are you sad? Too bad. Like, just do better next time. You'll be fine, right? That's something really small. But if you're told that all the time growing up, right, kids are very emotional. They fall down. They cry. They have this. They cry. Like, kids are just, they are, you know, younger children teach us, like, our emotions really are just telling us something. You're just sad. You're upset. And it's okay to have that emotion and work through it. And it doesn't have to affect you for the rest of the day. But when, as a kid, I was told, no, don't experience that. So I suppressed it. Suppress, suppress, suppress. So when you finally do have something kind of big happen, it's like an emotional volcano. Mm-hmm. That it's like all these over emotions that are you're overreacting to a situation because you haven't been able to slowly express that feeling. And I feel guilty about having emotions now about things. 
and I didn't notice that until I went to therapy, the way I would talk about things, my therapist is like, why are you being so negative about your emotions? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, why do you keep saying that? She's like, you're, you're talking about like it's a bad thing. And she's like, emotions are just information that help us to learn and move forward. And I think that's something that I'm really trying to bring into my family too, is when I see my siblings have emotional reactions and or my mom have emotional reactions in certain ways, I'm like, hey, that's okay. Like, talk through it with yourself. It's it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. Mm. And if you don't have emotional reactions, you are not a human being because that's what we were created to have emotions. That's mm. where our brains work, to make sense of the world, to protect us. And um, our, I don't know, black communities, they're just not good at that, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, they're very judgmental on your emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And um, yeah, I think, um, with me in kind of the same way uh, growing up a lot of things I had to suppress um, you know there were times where I would want to get upset about a decision that my parents made or something that I was told or something that I had to do and the response was you know you better not get upset or mm. you better not be upset or like be angry yeah. about this right and so you just kind of have to learn to like conceal don't feel right mm. um where you kind of push those things away for fear of, of getting in trouble or things like that. And I think, mm. um, yeah, those things don't go away. They just kind of build up, build up, build up until something happens, right? That, that eruption. And uh, it may happen at different times in our lives. But, uh, you know, there's, there's also this mentality among older generations where they say, oh, this new generation, they're so weak or yep. they're so wimpy. Or oh, they're my so, gosh. You know, they, they, you know, people call us snowflakes and all this kind of stuff. Sensitive. It's like, Actually, what it is is uh, we're learning to be human beings, mm. and y'all have uh, have taught us to suppress that. And uh, you can't understand why we would want to feel, be emotional, um, you know, express our anger, our displeasure, our happiness, our joy, our sadness about different things. That's all it is. Is we're learning how to how to cope with emotions and also the world that has been messed up by older generations. Because you know, this whole thing that we're sitting in right now, we didn't do this. I didn't warm the globe. I mean. I'm 26 years old. I'm not the one who, um, you know, I'm not the one who who stopped the production of electronic vehicles so that I, you know, so that oil could continue. Ooh. I'm not the one who, who you know, handicapped uh, public transportation. I'm not the one who's out here hoarding a whole bunch of money and keeping it from other people. I'm not the one who's voting on racist policies. Um, I'm not the one who's out here limiting the amount of money that people receive from the government mm. and, you know, giving tax breaks to people who have way too much money as it is. I'm not the one who invented credit. All of these things. Like, I didn't do this. I'm just living in this system that's been created by generations before us. I'm having to learn how to cope with this on the fly. There's no handbook to this. Right. And so just like generations before me, got to learn how to deal with what with the hand that we're given. And, um, you know, being human in the midst of that is not a weakness. It's human. Right. And so I think that's something mm -hmm. we all have to acknowledge. Also, you're never too old for therapy. Never too Someone old. Someone write that on my mom's forehead. <laughs> Love her. This yeah. argument every day. You're never too old to improve yourself. You're never too old to work on yourself. And um, you can go and see a therapist and, and become a better person no matter what stage you are in life. Also, it's okay if you're not compatible with the first therapist you come across. You probably won't be. Mm -hmm. I've learned that. You know, the first therapist I had was a very nice lady that I just did not relate to at all. And, uh, you know, we would sit in sessions and there would be awkward, long, awkward pauses, long, awkward silences. Oh, what? And I would say, I oh, talk too much for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say something. I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling this way. And then she would be like, well, why are you feeling that way? I'm like, I don't know. That's your job. You're supposed to tell me how I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't know. 
And then, you know, I, then I, I switched. I went to a different therapist. And that therapist, I was like, hey, I'm feeling this way. He's like, well, you're probably feeling this way because of this. Now, follow-up question, how do you feel about this? And I'd be like, hmm, I never thought about that. I hate when my therapist start asking me this. questions. I'm like, girl, I'm not trying to think about that today. See, I love that. <laughs> I love being able to, like, think. And, like, so everybody's different. Yeah, right? right? You, you need different, different things. Yeah. I'm like, tell me what's wrong with me. Like, a, yeah. <laughs> what, I'm like, here, let me tell you all about what I'm feeling. Tell me what's wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's different for everybody. So, yeah, don't feel, don't be feel bad if you went to the therapist and you felt awkward or you felt like they didn't understand you. That just meant you weren't compatible with that particular therapist. Because people, we're all different, right? If you parent your kids differently, then you're probably going to, like, people are going to uh, be therapized. Is that a word? Sure. Therapisted. Trademark it Thera- right now. Therapisticized. You're yes. going to be therapisticized differently, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, be aware of that. And, you know, it may take time, but mental health is so important. You're never too old to improve yourself, to work on yourself, to learn more about yourself and your mental health. And um, that's all we got for you today. Yeah. And if you ever, I think one of the ways to help me to find a therapist is going on Psychology Today. This is not a sponsorship or plug, but I would love it if they would because I am plugging them. But mm-hmm. it's a really easy way. Most therapists are on there. It's a really easy way. You just plug in your insurance if you have mental health insurance. Um, and also, yeah, so you plug in your insurance and then you can filter what you want, like whether that's trauma, PTSD, family relationships, romantic relationships, Anything you want, you pretty much have everything. Like if LGBTQ, religion, like whatever you want to do, they have it listed. And then you can look in your area and it shows you like who's accepting new clients, who's not. And it's a really easy way. And like every time I found a new therapist, I just go in there, call a bunch of people, make a bunch of appointments and then start going. And like it is sometimes a battle to find a new therapist. Like at one point I was seeing three three therapists a week because I was trying to figure out who I wanted to go to which was financially a lot because I was like $35 once a week now 35 times three times about four wait wait a minute so it can get pricey so you can like space it out um but yeah it's it's easier than you think finding a therapist and I'm always telling people I will help you find someone I'm very not that I'm saying I can do that for all the podcast listeners but it's easier than you think and with your insurance if you're not sure if you have mental health services, call the back of your card, like your health insurance card. If you have health insurance, call the back of it and ask them, what are my mental health services and what do I have available to me? Because I didn't even know I had it until I was basically like failing school and I needed to go to therapy. That's pretty much what it was left. It was like either like take a semester off or like something and so i was like let me see if i even have services covered and i called and i did and i had no idea and it was being paid for and so you might not even know that you have it available to you and they'll tell you what your copay is um and always if you do find someone i highly recommend calling your insurance to make sure they're in network because um sometimes someone can say they take your insurance but like they'll technically not be a network for you i've experienced that before so if you find someone you like call your insurance just give me all these tips so that that you know the what is it called like the 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 like technical part of finding a therapist is like half the battle um and and you can do that but mm-hmm. yeah yeah and there are also services out there um that will just take money you know that um that if you don't have insurance you can still have a mental health therapist and they'll offer all kinds of discounts and assistance yeah. and things like that to to help um you know, I'm not going to name any specifics because they're not paying us. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just just check your check your search engines, um, check the Google, and see yeah. what what pops up. But um, yeah, we love y'all. We respect y'all. 
and hope you have a great week. Oh, one more thing. We decided to add an extra little segment. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got to figure out what to call it. But for right now, we're just going to call it the recommendation section. Um, so we're just going to recommend like one thing a week that we want y'all to do or that you should check out. And so for this week, my recommendation, Nate's recommendation is to go and see the new movie, The Woman King, starring Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Viola. That movie is fire. It, it is um, so good. Yeah, it's great. The story is great. I cried Viola three times. Davis, yeah, it's beautiful. The Viola Davis, she killed her role. And uh, if you don't go see it, you hate black women. So Honestly, be sure to be yeah, in the theater. Honestly, yeah, I'm going to support that statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you're done, give it a 10 out of 10 on IMDb because yes. people are uh, trying to review bomb it and try and give it really? one star ratings. Yeah, Who's giving it one star? Racist people? So you can actually break it down by demographics. And if you look, white all of the one star ratings are white men like over the age of 40. Yeah, so, because dang, yeah, I didn't know The that. same people who don't like uh, Halle Bailey as the Little Mermaid. Oh, right. Is that, that group of people that are trying to hate bomb hate review if you uh, watch the woman king and don't like it is a woman empowerment movie like mm -hmm. you watch it and you're like women are badass like we can do important things we can do powerful things and it is it's very good yeah so go check that out okay my recommendation just in line with what we've talked about today is a podcast that i love i listen to it like on the treadmill working out maybe not the best place but i love it it's called therapy for black girls it, uh, and i just listen to it when i'm walking um, i think Cass listens to that too maybe it's so i love them and they have like umpteen million episodes they've done <laughs> it's been going on for a long time so you can pretty much find a podcast episode i'm like a podcast hopper i don't listen every week i'll just find the ones i want and listen to them but um they have an episode about everything and any topic you are interested in pretty much with mental health they have covered or talked about and um, they say it's not a replacement for normal therapy but it is nice if you don't really ha- if you can't access therapy there are a lot of podcasts by mental health professionals um, who advise on certain things mm-hmm. so it's not a replacement but it's definitely like if that's all you have it is a good resource and i love it it makes me think deeply about myself and my life um which that's i good. like to do I'm assuming you don't have to be a black girl to listen. No, you can be anyone, but it's just by a black, like it's called therapy for black girls just because, you know, again, Mm -hmm. we see today as we talk about the issue in our community and it's run by a black woman. And I know that she tries to bring on other black mental health professionals, but I'm, I don't know the demographics of every single person because she invites like other mental health professionals and experts in certain parts of therapy that she brings in. And um, I'm assuming there has been a mix amongst the guests that she's brought in. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's our recommendations for this week. We'll yeah. catch y'all next time. Yes. Thank you for joining us on the Black Menace podcast today. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Menaces. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon, the Menace Society, where you can get bonus content from us on the podcast, as well as extra clips from our videos that we film. And don't forget to email us at blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com for menace moments or any other questions that you want us to answer because this show is for you guys thank you and remember always be a menace thank you